0: Hey guys, before we get into this particular episode, I just wanted to give you guys a little addendum. Um, Jenny and I recently found some new information regarding our content for this episode. We are talking about different sexualities and um, we there is some new research that has come out About same-sex couples and how they like to be referred to. So you may hear the term homosexual a lot in this episode. We recently realized that that is not the preferred language and that people in same-sex relationships would prefer to just be called gay or lesbian. So I'm very sorry that we have misidentified you if that is how you identify and um, just be aware that that is no longer the preferred language, that there are better things to say. And um, keep in mind that our vocabulary and our language about how we talk about sex and sexuality is consistently evolving. And so we just want to take this opportunity to say we are learning, we are growing. And so when you hear this in the podcast, just know that we know better now and we will do better in the future. All right, let's go. Thank you.
1: Hi Jenny. Hi
0: Katie. Welcome to Screw Everybody, a sexual health podcast where we're going to be dis- discussing facts and some opinions about having a healthy and fun sex life. Um today we are talking about discovering your sexual identity. So last time we talked about losing your virginity and what virginity means, but now we've all decided we're ready to have sex it's time um we've decided what that means to us and we're ready to to get there so how do you know who you want to go have sex with um how do you know what your sexual identity is because it is a complex thing um so let's just, we're going to break it down with some terminology and give you guys some vocabulary and some language for talking about this. Um, What
1: is sexual identity, Jenny? Yeah, that's great. So um, in order to think about sexual identity, I think the first thing we need to talk about is self identity, right? Um, So your self identity is basically your sense of who you are, right? Who you are, what you're about, what are the characteristics that you embody, and, and that's sexual. true
0: of everything, right? I am a mother. I mm-hmm. am a teacher. I am a brunette, right? These yes, are Yes. I things. am a feminist, right? Yes. Uh, I am a wife. These are all things that play into our sense of self and right. your sexual identity is just part of that.
1: It's just a part of that. Yeah. And it And so your sexual identity really encapsulates a couple of different like core components that we're gonna talk about today. But I do think it's important to mention that your your sexual identity is valid independent of whether or not you have or intend to have sex, right? This is about who you are as a human being. Um, And it does not require validation through sexual intercourse validation by other people the only person it requires validation from is you and you can change your mind a hundred percent you can change your mind a hundred percent you can change your mind you don't Um, have to paint yourself into a corner like exactly and it's not uncommon for things to evolve over someone's lifespan too right Mm -hmm. Um, and to change based on the people they interact with who they fall in love with right might impact a label that we give to ourselves Um, but whatever it is you get to decide and I want to say again this
0: is kind of me being a devil's advocate kind of uh, player in this but labels are not important as a means of knowing ourselves but I do think they have merit in as far as they give us language to communicate with other people and Uh so um you know if you feel conflicted about your identity in any area because we have all of these labels and all of these terms um if you feel conflicted about that you don't have to choose one term the reason that, so we have tried to define as many identities as possible is because it gives us vocabulary for communicating with each other. And so you don't have to feel pressure. Like I have to pick one, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like the entry forms for college where you have to choose your ethnicity. (laughs) Like you Mm -hmm. can know that to yourself, you are conflicted or you vacillate between um, two or three yeah. different things, but it does, it is a handy tool to have in your toolbox to be able to communicate with other people who are like you or who are close to you. It gives you a means of discussing it. That's what, I don't want to get into semiotics, but that's what language is all about, right? Yeah.
1: Um, well, and there's actually, so in, under the LGBTQIA2S umbrella, right? Um, that Q, in addition to potentially standing for queer, can also stand for questioning, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the most like common places for young people to fall Um, During this time where you're figuring out who you are, I mean, literally, like, that's your goal as an older teen, younger 20-something, is to figure out who you are independent from your family of origin, right?
0: That um, makes me think of my, like, media moment for today, which is, (laughs) I know, Jenny's excited, she's doing jazz hands, Um, (laughs) in an episode of How I Met Your Mother, which has a lot of problematic portrayals of sex in it but there is one particular episode where um, Lily is talking to Robin these are two women by the way um she's talking to Robin and she's saying like you are a lot of things and she like lists a couple of her traits and then she says you are um, what is she, a player in several dreams that remind me that a woman's sexuality is a moving target <laughs> and, um I drop it is it is really funny because you know um, Allison, uh, what is her last name? Anyway, the actress who plays Lily is so funny and her delivery of the line is just hilarious. But I did think, yeah, like sexuality is a moving target. It is something that changes uh, over the course of a lifetime and the way that you uh, perceive it and perceive your own sexuality can change day to day. Yeah, right. it is
1: not the way that we, I mean, again, Born in 1985, but that is not the way that I was raised, right? We were Hannigan. Was, it's Allison Hannigan. I'm sorry.
0: Allison Hannigan. <laughs> <laughs> <Eleven>. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes. No, uh, so but let's let's talk about how we might at least start defining our sexuality. Let's give ourselves some terms and some ideas that we can at least, start putting ourselves checking some of those boxes.
1: Yeah. So I think in order to like start this conversation, we have to start um with some of those cultural messages, just like we did when we were talking about the concept of virginity, right? Because um, you cannot escape some of the deeply rooted cultural ideas about sexual identity. Um, mm-hmm. Especially if you live in the United States of America. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So as we like, kind of talk through this, because sometimes people get a lot of these terms confused or conflated or they think they're the same thing. Um, I'm going to use one of my favorite metaphors developed by one of my favorite sexual health advocates um, named Tammy Delosiano. Um, and that is a, met, a car metaphor, right? So as we kind of talk through, I'll say, okay, yeah, that's that's how this fits in with the car metaphor. But in the United States, right, we have this concept of what we call a binary. A binary basically means you've got two things that oppose each other. Okay, kind of goes back to that baseball metaphor a little bit, right? Opposing oh, yeah. teams. Mm-hmm. Okay? They're opposite of each other. Okay, and in our binary, when we think about sexual identity, what are the two what are the two options, Katie? heterosexual and homosexual. Okay. Or yeah. For, or, for orientation, maybe. We're, oh, we're okay. You're right. See, whatever. I'm already confusing. No, it's, okay. Confusing it's things. okay. So
0: you're talking man and woman. Men are from
1: Mars. Women are from Venus. Right. Right. And men are generally attracted to women. Men is being attracted to women. Right. And women is being attracted to men. Right. And then everybody else has to like somehow disclose or position themselves outside of that. Right, so here's mm-hmm. what's no, here's what's normal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody else has to have a special term or label or way of describing themselves um, because it's not the usual rules of the road, right? Um, this isn't the case across cultures and time. Lots of different cultures have more than one gender. Um, lots of different cultures understand that people move may move or change the gender marking um label to them
0: yeah so oh i was just thinking the first thing that comes to mind is well no the first thing that came to mind was ancient greek and rome right there were a lot of and i'm i'm not um like a classical culture expert but um the way I understand it is that especially the Romans had a lot of different categories for different types of relationships. And so some of those were homosexual relationships and some of them are heterosexual relationships, but a man's, I mean, of course, Rome was a patriarchy. So it, it's centered around the male experience, but so men had a relationship with their wives that was comported in a certain way. And then they had a relationship with like a mistress or a prostitute. That was a certain way. And then when they went off to war, they had a relationship with another young man mm-hmm. that was completely a different category of relationship and a different category of experience. Um, this has been the history podcast. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: but I love that because it gives us an example that sometimes we think that the way that we view things in our culture is the truth, right? Right. It's like the air you breathe. Um, but the reality is the way that we operate positions, a whole lot of people, right. As anomalies or outliers, when the reality mm-hmm. is it's probably our way of thinking that's incomplete and is doing more harm than than has to be done. So we're going to take a real inclusive lens um, on these kind of terms and things that, um, that we're going to. Yeah. And that's what
0: the next thing I thought about was kind of contemporary Japanese culture is a lot Mm -hmm. different from like Western American culture um, in terms of they kind of Place a lot more emphasis on your individual identity rather than belonging to a group identity. Mm
1: -hmm. And I think,
0: especially in America, we're very concerned with aligning ourselves with a certain group as our identity. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a whole other podcast, but I think that's why professional sports are the way they are in America. Like we have to be identified with a certain group and that becomes our personal identity. Whereas in other cultures, um it's a lot more about like this is how I perceive myself and everyone says okay (laughs) you know you're the expert Um, on you right And I'm not saying like Japan is a perfect society or anything like that but it does seem like they have a lot more fluidity when it comes to gender and sexuality and just kind of like letting people express themselves the way that feels right for them Mm -hmm. um sometimes that can go to places that are uncomfortable for people who have grown up in America. Again, that's for another time. A thousand but. Percent.
1: Well, so let's take it back. Let's take it all the way back. So we're this, on the
0: road. We're in the two lane highway
1: on the two lane highway, right? But Men and women. I want to go back to like, what is it? Like 16 weeks in utero.
0: Right. I just saw one okay. of these. Yeah, is that, that's
1: about right, isn't it? Facebook feed. Um. Yeah. Right. Like, or maybe it's twenty something weeks when they do the anatomy scan. Right. I did mine at, at sixteen,
0: 80. but they always yeah. say it, they could be wrong.
1: Right. So right, like, because things could develop differently. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. So even before, right, even before babies are born, since the dawn of time, we label them. Right. We look at their bodies, and we look at a really what is an impartial marker for sex. It is
0: three lines, three vertical lines, on an ultrasound that indicate a female.
1: Mm-hmm. And boom comes the pink glitter bomb, right? Or yep. the balloons, <laughs> or the cupcakes. <laughs> and what does everybody do? They start buying bows and
0: bows, giant.
1: Both, like <laughs> you know, I mean, gendered car seats, right? Gen- I mean, things that are utilitarian, right? Um, before a baby is even born, mm-hmm. and the reality is that sex, right? So if we're if we're still using this car metaphor, we're thinking about a car. Sex is what's under the hood of the car, right? It's the mechanics. It's what the engine looks like. It's the wheels. It's the physical presence of the vehicle. Um, but. Human, human sex, right? Human biological sex is a lot more than just what our genitals look like.
0: Really? Yes. Because I always thought your sex was male, like your sex, your physical sex was male or female. And it was, do you have a penis or do you have a vulva?
1: There are actually 32 medically recognized ways that human beings experience biological sex.
0: Okay. Give me some examples. Thirty. Okay.
1: That seems insane. Give me some examples. Right. So, a lot of times, what people what people might think of is like that out that super outdated term that we don't use anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Which the eight, We all. I'm just going to call that the H word. Okay. Okay, um, okay. But really, what we're talking about are intersex people. Um. So intersex folks are about as common as people with red hair. You know anybody with red okay. hair, Katie? I mean, a
0: couple, I'm not sure how many natural redheads I know. Okay. I will say that.
1: Or about as common as people with green eyes.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Um, So they make up about 2% of the global. That is a very high number. A very high number.
0: That is a very high number. That's what we have. What? 8 billion people. Is it up to 8 billion now in the world?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's close. It's so we're talking
0: like several hundred million people, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. So, and and so intersex is an umbrella term, right? And when I say umbrella, I mean, those 30 medically identified ways outside of t- typically standard male alignment under the male label, typically standard female alignment under the female sex label. Um, anybody that falls outside of that, we would describe as intersex. Okay. And those variations can look like a lot of different things. Some people are not even identified as intersex until they're, until they die. Right. So for some reason, somebody has to do a, um, what's it called when you have to do that procedure where they figure out cause of death, what's that called? An autopsy. An autopsy. Mm. An autopsy. Um, And they may, you know, operate on a person with a vulva and find that they have internal testes instead of internal ovaries. Mm -hmm. So now
0: I had a friend in college who she said had an excess of testosterone in her body. And so she had more body hair than Mm -hmm. a lot of the women that she knew. So is that something that can be a side effect of being intersex or is that just something that happens to some women?
1: So I'm not a medical provider. What I would say is that that person's doctor is going to be the expert on like what has caused that higher level of testosterone, right? Um, and it's important to say that intersex conditions are not necessary. they're not problems, right? They're not things that need to be fixed. Right. Um, and there are there's a lot of different kinds of variation that can occur
0: so is. if these aren't things that need to be altered or um like dealt with in a medical way why do we have this differentiation in terms of like
1: understanding what intersex conditions are okay. like, like like kind of explain is that what your question is why are we talking oh, about well yes so is- if yeah if so functionally like- you know
0: if you are intersex but it really like you will still probably identify as male or female. What is the value in splitting those hairs?
1: Well, you, you don't necessarily, you might not, you might okay. not. So, um, there were, I wish that this were a visual thing so I could show you the fallow <laughs> meter. We so, can always I mean, put like a video or
0: a graphic on, on the yeah. website. So yeah. go to sexhealthpod.com.
1: Yes. Um, And check that out. So an intersex activist, right? So for a long time, doctors have been performing unnecessary medical procedures on infants to make them fit into um, these categories,
0: right? There was a Grey's Anatomy episode about that, where a young woman had been born with a deformed penis, and so they turned it into a vagina, and she was, was like it a
1: deformed penis or was well it
0: that was what body? that was what they said right that was that was how they phrased it in the show obviously by the time the show story was happening the kid was a teenager so it was like uh, at that point they had a, a vulva that they had constructed at birth yeah well not at birth but you know in infancy in but infant. then she was in, or they were in the hospital um for I don't know some reason and they said you know I don't feel right I've never felt right and then it all came out like oh you originally had a penis but it wasn't the way it was supposed supposed to be air quotes again well Mm -hmm. maybe I mean I don't know they didn't say or I don't remember what Grace anatomy fans out there let me know exactly how that episode (laughs) went because I cannot remember all the exact details
1: (laughs) no you're doing great I, but so this is where the phallometer comes into play here, right? So, a phallometer
0: as in like a way of measuring a phallus. Yes,
1: yes. So, in general, this was created by an intersex activist to show just how subjective these decisions were um, in the context of harming patients and their families, right? So, the phallometer is basically a three inch long ruler, right? That's shaded. Okay. And so, If the external genitals of a baby are 0.9 centimeters or shorter, right, closer to the body, only extend out 0.9 centimeters from the body, it's a girl, right? We're not doing any chromosomal tests. We're not, we're not looking at your hormones. We don't know what's, you know, but we, but you're a girl. If it's 2.5 centimeters and longer outside of the body, it's a boy. So what about people who fall
0: between 0.9 and 2.5? So
1: this is where the surgeries come in. And sometimes surgeries were were and are being done without even parents knowing about it. Right? Really? We are so uncomfortable with things that fall outside of this binary system that we would generally mutilate infants in order to make them fit. So how do
0: you, let's, let's pretend that you have a baby who falls in that, in between, let's say they're like 1.5 centimeters. Okay. So they're like right in the middle. So if you're thinking, well, I want to make my kid's life easier for them. How can I help them, you know, fit better into one sex or the other? Because I, I don't want them to have confusion. Like, is that a, is that a consideration? And then how do you determine like what other factors go into Determining, like, do we have
1: a large clitoris or do we have a small penis? So what I would argue is that listening to the adults who fall into kind of this intersex umbrella about their experience would be where, as a parent, I would suggest starting, right? Okay. Um, So I think the idea that we want to make, we want to do what's right by our kids, right? Absolutely. 100%. Um, I think every, I think most parents, every parent kind of is doing the best that they can in the circumstances that they exist within for their children. And from what I've read, right? It seems to be that any kind of medical intervention in this area tends to do more harm than it, than it helps, right? Um, Sometimes folks don't know their intersex until they hit puberty and the secondary sex characteristics that show up. We have no way of really knowing um, what the internal workings or chromosomal workings of that um, baby are. And so the idea that we can alter their external genitals and that that will somehow fix what isn't really even a problem, right? The problem is that we live in a culture um, that excludes And makes people feel like they're anomalies or outliers, right? When the reality is this has been occurring um, naturally in the human population forever. (laughs) So I don't know if that's helpful. It's not super pragmatic advice, right? Um, It's hard. It's going to be hard. It would be hard. Um, But I think it's important.
0: you've just raised like so many other questions and this is just like a fascinating nebulous thing um it seems like we're still learning so much about it
1: yes and so there are um some really great resources that again we can we can uh link in the chat of um where folks can go to learn more about intersex, about the act of intersex people and and about the activism that's happening kind of around and within that population. I would Um, love to
0: hear more about experiences of people who are intersex and like how that, that, how, if at all, it has affected them growing up and experiencing puberty and experiencing their sexuality. Because I imagine, especially in the world we live in, that would be, it would have an impact on, how you experience things um that would be fascinating to find out more about those those experiences
1: yeah
0: wow so there so effectively there are 32 different sexes
1: correct correct or or 32 different variations in the ways that humans experience sex right um Although what we typically what is what is maybe more common, right, are going to be people who um, their chromosomes, hormones, external genitalia um, kind of fall in, into either the category of um, the female sex or the male sex. Right.
0: Right. And that is completely different from gender
1: completely different from
0: just so going back to your car metaphor so we're in our two-lane highway male and female those are our sexes right um and that's what's under the hood so to speak well right. but that's i would our argue engine. Just
1: our two-lane highway doesn't really make sense right we've kind of expanded our now we've got about 32 right. lanes right we, we um,
0: gotta make the the turnpike If you're in Oklahoma, which I hope people that are not from Oklahoma will hear us also, but um, if you're in Oklahoma, you know that the work on the turnpike never stops.
1: It never stops.
0: Never stops. (laughs) They're always repaving and adding new lanes. And that's for the purposes of our discussion, a really good thing. It's not so great when you're driving from Oklahoma City to Tulsa, but when you're driving down the road of sexuality, it's great to keep expanding the highway yes Um, but the sex that you are whichever one of those 32 lanes you are in um Mm -hmm. or i was kind of thinking like if the majority of people will kind of either fall into male or female one way or the other let's say like either you're headed east or west right so like east is female west is male so we have and that's based on like what kind of car you're driving but gender is completely different am i getting this right
1: so far yeah, I, can I, can I, I think the way that I would describe the, I, I would be less concerned about maybe the number of lanes or directions on the highway and think instead of the car as your physical body, right? Okay. Which even, even for folks who fall under the umbrella of like, let's say the female sex, all of our bodies look a little bit different. All of right. our mechanics are going to be a little bit different right? Um, And so thinking about that, right? That's kind of our vehicle. And then gender, just like you just said, is the person driving it, right? Okay. Um, Another way to think about it sometimes is like um, Power Rangers, right? (laughs) This audience is too young for Power Rangers. I'm not even going to go there, but you know what I'm talking about, Katie, where there's like somebody inside the Megazord and they're Uh like powering it and that person could be male, it could be female, but the Megazord looks exactly the same. Exactly. Yes.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, You know what? We'll, we'll put a link into like a YouTube video of Power Rangers and everyone, if you don't know Power Rangers, you'll get it then. Um, So gender and sex are completely different things. And
1: different,
0: yeah. sex is kind of, I mean, you're born with both, right? But you kind of, I would say gender identity is a little more
1: intuitive. Um, so they do, so the emerging science right now does say that they believe that there's, there are elements of the brain that develop in utero that start to map some of those things related to gender identity. But another really important concept about gender identity is it's super social, right? So, so it's you're not nurture or a, nature, it is both nurture and nature. Everything, everything together all at once, probably, right? Um, but there's no way that you can make or not make your child or yourself, like let's say trans, right? Okay. Um, so I just wanna, I wanna say, I wanna kind of get that um, super duper clear. Um before kind of diving any deeper, right? there's no way to just like there's no way to make someone gay. There's no way to make someone um, gender nonconforming. I feel like we need like a flow chart.
0: <laughs> just, yeah. well, because I was about to say, well, being gay or being straight or being bi or whatever, that's a sexual orientation, right? Like that yes. is who you prefer to have sex with. That's different from, say, being trans, which is more about what gender you personally identify as.
1: Correct, one hundred percent. So, although they t- they kind of talk to each other, right? So we'll we'll get there when we get to sexual orientation, but but because the all use...
0: aspects of your identity feed into how you interact with other people, yes. right? So how you perceive your gender is automatically going to impact the type of people you seek out for sexual encounters.
1: Exactly. And the labels you might use to describe yourself, right? Right. So, um, but we can kind of, we can get into it. Yes. Okay. So
0: gender identity is different than your sex identity.
1: Yes. So gender identity is really a personal identification with a particular gender or gender role in society. Okay. And unfortunately we
0: still tend to define those as male or female
1: or man or woman. Or Yeah, right, right. And that men are supposed to be masculine, feminine, or so females mm-hmm. are supposed to be feminine, right? Um, which doesn't leave a whole lot of room for variation, the beauty of variation in that. Um, so we're still in that binary system for sure. The cool thing about gender, or the thing to know about gender, is that it typically starts to form when kids are really little, right? Um, Yeah, I was reading
0: an article that you gave me that was talking about the rigidity of uh, young people. And I I was particularly interested to hear that they're particularly rigid between ages five and seven. And that really struck me because I have a five-year-old and I have a nine-year-old. And so they're very much in that time period of life where gender is very black and white for them maybe I shouldn't be introducing color into this also. um, It is very much like, are you a girl or are you a boy? And how do you identify? And my, um, my third grader actually had, I mean, for those of you who know my eldest daughter, she is like evangelical about sharks. Like she is so passionate about shark conservation and like, she is anti-finning, like so much that her aunt went online and signed a petition on her behalf to stop shark finning in Europe because if you even mention it to her, she will get up on her soapbox and she will yell at you about how sharks are innocent and they're a part of the ecosystem and they're important. and like young activism. Like a, yes, right. So she had a kid in her class tell her, She is not allowed to like sharks because she's a girl. She should like unicorns instead. And also told her, you know, she was talking about the Avengers, I think, or something like that. And he was like, you can't like Marvel movies. You're a girl. You should be liking, you know, like unicorns or princesses or whatever, which she does big time. We love princesses. We love unicorns. We love pink sparkly stuff, but we love the Marvel movies and we love Mm -hmm. sharks And, uh, but she is being told by her peers that she has to choose one or the other Mm -hmm. already. The binary harms everyone. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it really struck me that it's most rigid in young kids. I just... I guess you usually think of like the innocent children being the more accepting, and then you kind of get more, you know, sunk in, but actually the opposite is true, right? We get more accepting and more open to things. We get
1: older. Um, It was surprising to me to find that out. No, I like that Uh, insight, Katie, too. And I think a lot of it has to do, I think a little bit has to do with brain development, right? Like things are super concrete for little kids. and when you think about all of the cultural messages that are given, like they're, they are absorbing that, right. They're absorbing it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's like one of those things too, that I think some people can feel sort of surprised when they get to um, puberty or a little bit later and they start thinking about themselves and their gender a little bit differently. Um, Sometimes there can be this like idea that you're supposed to be the same person that you were when you were Eight years old I think there's a lot of that
0: for adults too you know we have this idea that we should be the same person in our 40s that we were in our 20s and you know when you lived another 20 years things change I feel uh, side note this is a total tangent but I feel so bad for all of you young people with social media like I just think of all of the awful things that I said to people when I was younger and all the stupid things that I thought. And like, if those were memorialized for all eternity, I would be in hell. Like it would be horrible. I just, teenagers, it's okay to think stupid things and say stupid things. And you shouldn't hold it against people when you're young. Like you will change as you get older, so just be nice to each other and maybe think twice before hitting the publish button on that TikTok or Snapchat or whatever. I use we use TikTok and Instagram now, so I assume the young people don't. But um, <laughs> whatever get it is, something else. Yeah, yeah. yeah whatever it yeah. is you're doing, maybe just like think twice. <laughs>
1: Right. Well, and, and, oh my gosh, share the message with all the adults in the comments section of every news article too. Right. So like, I would argue, I I think I have like greater hope that teens, that teens right now are learning skills that, you know, the boomer generation could really benefit from. And I hope so. Yeah. Like again, think twice before
0: hitting that publish or post button and know that you don't have to reply to every tweet. Right. You can right. let that go. Let that shit and go. That,
1: and that's a power move,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, a non-response is a power move. Um, and this has been our social media advice podcast.
1: <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> okay, so gender identity is rigid for young kids because their brain is developing and they are developing um, early in life, and of course, we have all these outside influences. If you've been to the toy department at Target, you have seen cool. how gendered things are. Yes, um, and That's we valid. know, you know, you can buy your kid gender-neutral stuff, and they will still gravitate toward what feels right for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I we bought a green car seat, like a green and gray car seat, and a green and gray stroller, and you know, like neutral-colored things for our babies, and. My kids love girly stuff. They won't wear jeans. They'll only wear dresses. Um, Right now, anyway. But you have the opposite of that sometimes, too. Mm -hmm. You know, you have parents who put their babies in giant big bows and dress them in pink frilly dresses. And then um, their kid grows up. And when they start making their own decisions, gravitate toward the opposite things. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. So they will figure it out, I guess is what I'm saying. I don't know what point I was really trying to make other than that cultural influence has a huge part to play.
1: Yes. Well, and, and to not be surprised, right? When you get to the place where you're starting to figure out who you are, um, mm-hmm. if that is different from um, who you were as a kid, right? That that is okay, that that is common, that um, whatever identity you identities you whatever labels you ultimately end up using to describe yourself are valid.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And I think, um, especially as you enter into adolescence and again, identifying with a group becomes so important. It's okay if certain aspects of your identity don't align with that group all the time. Mm -hmm. I think about this, I I mean, it's going to come out anyway, Jenny and I are both ardent feminists, right? Um, there's not going to be, if you've listened to us talk for more than 15 minutes, you've probably gleaned that. But, um, I think that there are definitely some instances with the feminist movement where women who are more feminine or embrace the like more girly side of things are kind of, uh, denigrated.
1: the Mm -hmm. feminist movement Mm -hmm.
0: because the expectation Mm -hmm. of identifying with that group is subverting gender norms right Mm -hmm. so you get into these kind of little uh, these insular arguments within an identifier of like can a housewife be a feminist you know like Mm um and so i think it's important to reiterate that like you need to use your intuition. You need to be who you are. And if you believe in women's rights, you are a feminist, whether you are a housewife and love to wear dresses every day, or if you work outside the home and wear nothing but pants or jeans and flannel shirts, right? Like femininity presents in different ways. Feminism presents in different ways. And I'm sorry, I feel like we're leaving the guys out of it. Like,
1: Well, right. But I mean, the same goes, the same goes for men, right? And the same goes for all of the folks who fall outside of the binary too. Right. Um, But there's lots of different ways and that's, and that's where I think the really beautiful part comes when we start to break down these rules is that it results in more freedom, more accessibility and more um, creativity from everybody on how they see themselves and what labels they can, um, they do or don't want to use. So if i feel, if I grew up and feel like, you
0: know, I, my, my sex is female, but I don't always feel like my gender is a woman. Mm -hmm. What are my other options for identifiers? Like what are some other, uh, some other framework that I can use to kind of figure out my identity?
1: Yeah. So there, there are so many terms, right. And the language around this is changing all of the time. We'll make sure to link Um, Some really great resources from um, PFLAG and the Human Rights Campaign that can kind of give um, even more detail than what we're going to give today, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So cisgender is when our sense of gender identity aligns with the assigned sex we were given at birth, right? The doctors guessed and they guessed right, okay? Super common, but not the only one, okay? Okay. Um, the word trans, or when we think of kind of the trans umbrella, we're talking about people whose um, sense of their gender is different than the sex that they were assigned at birth, right? For some people, that can mean, um, like if someone was born with a penis, right? They were given the sex mm-hmm. um, assignment of male, um, but they see themselves as a woman, right? Um, that, that might be capsulated by the term trans. OK, but then we also have words like genderqueer, non-binary, gender non-conforming that even go kind of like outside of those two options. So right? when you
0: say genderqueer, what are we really talking about? I think that a lot of older people especially may not really understand what that term encompasses. I think a lot of people understand cisgender and they understand transgender but things like gender queer and gender nonconforming are a little bit harder for people to adjust to, who are not familiar.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and so I do not identify right, as nonbinary. I do not identify as gender queer. And so I do not um, position myself to necessarily speak for everybody that falls uh, into those categories, right? Um, But essentially what it means is they're kind of removing themselves from the binary altogether. They're saying none of these rules really apply Mm. to who I am. Um, You might see people's sense of identification change day to day. You might see um, folks, and right now we're just talking about identity, right? We're not even talking about expression, which we'll get to in just a second. This is really about um, how people see themselves. And so this is like a
0: box that we check on eHarmony.com.
1: Yeah, does has right? eHarmony gotten a little bit more? Oh, I don't know. Should this? we use a
0: different Bumble? Should we use Bumble? Maybe Bumble. I don't know. What's yeah. a, what's a better than eHarmony?
1: I don't know. It's been a long time since I've I don't dated do online. <laughs> yeah, haven't <laughs> haven't. I was back I before I could phone. do it on my phone. I had to power up my
0: laptop. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, this is. We've got to get some guests on here because yeah, like. Yes. I've been married, I've been in the, with the same person for 15 years now. So like, I don't even yes. know, but, um, but what we're talking about right now are like the boxes that you check on whatever dating platform you're happening to use, right? This exactly. is how you find other people who identify the same way. Yes. Um, if you want to. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, yeah. I think my okay, broader then. point
1: is that it can be different for everybody, right? So the definition, right, of genderqueer is um, relating to a person who does not subscribe to conventional gender distinctions, but identifies with neither, both, or a combination, right? Um, and so that's going to vary from person to person.
0: I love that. I love a maverick. I like these people uh, that just are like,
1: you know what, I'm going to do what I want. It's
0: beautiful.
1: <laughs> it's nice. It's nice. Yeah, uh, And then related to that, right? We've got gender expression. Yeah. Um, so sex is the vehicle we're driving. Mm-hmm. Gender identity is the person behind the wheel. Right. And then gender expression is going to be like all the things that we do to dress up that car, right? Do we have fuzzy dice? What color is the car? Do we have decals? What's going the on? The coexist sticker on the bumper. Yes. Yes. Um, and so again, a lot of times, gender identity and the way somebody expresses it align. Sometimes they don't, right? For safety reasons or mm-hmm. um, accessibility reasons, right? Could be a big part of that. Um, yeah. So I'm thinking of
0: um, the marvelous Miss Maisel. And I don't know if you've watched that show or not. I need uh, to you should if you haven't but there is a character played by i cannot remember any any people's names today um she was um, oh god what is her name hold on i'm gonna look it up give me one second yeah uh katie googles uh let's see marvelous Miss you should watch it though it's really funny it and um well, you know, it's made by Amy Sherman Palladino, so you kind of know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, cast. There we go. Alex Borstein. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. she's she's the supervisor from the Lizzie McGuire movie. Oh my um, gosh, Lizzie McGuire. <laughs> anyway, she plays this character, Susie, in the show, and um she—it's kind. Of, I haven't finished the whole series, so I don't know if it ever is completely made clear whether she is a lesbian or not. But her gender expression is very male, very masculine. right. She—it's very masculine. She works in a yeah. comedy club as like a promoter slash. Sometimes like bartender, sometimes bouncer, whatever. She becomes um Mrs. Mazel's really good friend and like helps her get her comedy career started. Um, but yeah, for this show takes place in the 1950s. And so the way she dresses, she wears like suits and slacks and ties and like a like a newsy cap, and she keeps her hair pulled back. And so she presents in a very masculine way. Um, but there's also no ambiguity like she is not a man mm-hmm. right
1: mm-hmm. she
0: clearly identifies as a woman and again I, d- I haven't finished the series so I'm not sure if she identifies as a lesbian or not but um yeah so that this is just what this is making me think of is like yes. she is a woman but she kind of presents herself in a masculine way uh, so her gender expression is more
1: male yes no, I love that I also sometimes think of um Billy Porter. Right. Yes. And all of Billy Porter's just like beautiful play when it comes to gender expression. And I think, um, there was a quote I read from him recently. That was something like, um, uh, like the magic knows no binary or something like that. Mm. Um, just absolutely, um, beautiful.
0: Yes. I really admire his, style because it is it's like the most masculine looking ball gowns you would ever see you know what I mean just yes they're it's perfection they're beautiful I'm really jealous that I didn't think of that before you
1: (laughs) oh yeah wonderful Um, And so one of the really big parts too about uh, gender expression involves um, pronouns. And so there's probably a there's a lot of, I don't know, I work in the nonprofit sphere and so everybody's got them in their email signature, but there's a lot Mm of things I would call anxiety and sometimes um, pushback and over analysis yeah, pushback definitely, but also over analysis in the Oklahoma area about pronouns and introducing people with pronouns, right? Um, it's not a big deal. We all use them and we all want to get it right, right? Because we all, sure. I mean, if Southerners appreciate nothing else, politeness is something. And I will uh, say
0: this as an English teacher, the Modern Language Association or MLA, if you are in high school right now and writing papers for your English class. Um MLA guidebook now says and I believe AP guidebook now says also if um, you are referring to someone and you aren't 100% positive you should say they or like it is completely acceptable to use pronouns like you and they to describe people in an article or a paper um, as kind of a generic pronoun that Mm -hmm. encompasses everybody Um, so it's grammatically correct it's socially correct and
1: so just saying, just throwing that out there. Yeah. No. And I like that context because that's some of the pushback that I think I have heard people express, right? It's like, well, I just, I just care about grammar, right? Um, <laughs> well, it's okay to use, I mean, okay it, it, it
0: used to be frowned on to use they yeah. as a pronoun, like you would say one, right? If you want to say you or they, yeah. um, and I will say still avoid second person point of view if you can, but, um, they is perfectly fine now. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and so that's great context, right? Um, for my next little soapbox, if y'all are ready, right? <laughs> it's that we all have pronouns, right? One of the best ways, if you're unsure of um, knowing what pronouns somebody uses, is to ask them just like you would with their name, right? Um, Great handy tip too. introducing yourself with yours can help um, open the door, the space for somebody else to do the same, um, which can be helpful too. Um, if you get it wrong, just like if you get somebody's name wrong, um, don't make a big deal about it, right? Don't apologize yep. over and over and over again. Like, I'm so sorry. Because what does that do, right? That means that makes me feel like I have to say, oh, Katie, it's not a big deal.
0: When right. am it might
1: be a big deal to me,
0: right? Which it can be a very big deal. I think, um, as a cis woman, if someone accidentally identifies me as male, it, it doesn't matter to me, right? I don't care that much. But if you are someone who is in transition and like this has been a long process for you figuring out who you are or like getting the chance to really express who you are, then that's going to have a lot bigger emotional impact when someone gets it wrong. Right. That's going to be a lot more painful. If you have been trying to transition from one to the other, or, you know, from something to something else for your entire life, or if you have recently come out, then it's going to be a lot more painful to be
1: misidentified. Mm -hmm. Just correct yourself and keep it moving. Right. So you don't have to draw a lot of attention to
0: the misstep.
1: Right. Right. Good.
0: And maybe That's you don't address people as Mr. or Ms. in emails unless you know for sure. I just know one of my very good friends has a gender neutral name. I'm mm-hmm. actually, several of my good friends have gender neutral names <laughs> um, or names that are, you know, generally associated with one or the other, but they are different. Like I have a few girlfriends that have typical boys' names and a couple male friends who have typical girls' names. Yeah. And so people will write like, Mr. Sheridan and Sheridan is a woman. Right. Um, So just, you know, you don't have to say Mr. or Mrs. No, No. it's okay to just call people by their name.
1: (laughs) We're generally all cool with that.
0: Yeah. So I do think it's nice on zoom and like Instagram where you have the option to say what pronouns you prefer. Mm -hmm. Um, Just kind of like put it out there. Yeah, I am interested yeah. in your take on people who say they prefer, like, she slash they. Mm, yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That was an interesting kind of, uh, like, why would you be okay being called she but not be okay being called her? Do you think? Yeah.
1: So I think, again, I think I don't speak for... Right. As I'm just asking like, you to speculate yeah, wildly here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but there are lots of things to kind of think about and kind of untangle here, right? So um, the first is that there may be some settings in which someone feels comfortable be, like, being called they, and there may be other settings in which they are more comfortable using she, her pronouns, right? Um, okay. So it may be a situation where depending on the safety of the group, Um, that may be, they may say, like I think about, especially in Oklahoma, right? When I talk about the safety of the group, there may be different spaces where people are more comfortable using different pronouns, right? Um, I think that sometimes folks um, really are, I mean, comfortable, I mean, they're comfortable with, with both, right? And so I think um, presenting those, what I tend to try to, to default to is the, is the one that's listed first, right? So if someone Mm -hmm. has listed they, she, then I'm going to use, um, the one that they've listed, um, first. Um, and then I've also heard of folks, of folks who are allies, right? Um, attempting to, to kind of use that as a tool to expand the commonality of using they, them pronouns. Right. So kind of like saying Mm -hmm. I'm also comfortable being called um, or being, being um, referred to as um, with they, them pronouns. Um, But those would be kind of like the three types of experiences I've heard from other people who use that. Okay. This is like a fascinating new realm of etiquette. Yeah. Well, and I know folks that are comfortable with all pronouns as long as you're respectful.
0: Well, what do you think about, um, you know, for a while there, we were using like Z mm-hmm. as a pronoun Zier. it never seemed like it really took off um I wonder if it was just because people didn't know how to pronounce it correctly
1: yeah so I think I think um yeah Z easier falls into like the neo pronouns category um which I'm not as super duper familiar with um, as other folks probably are, but I've got a great resource that we can share on it. Um, but you may see particularly like with young people, um, that neo-pronouns, um, show up a lot more frequently than we might see in the adult population.
0: The language person in me is enraptured with all of these things. Like, it's just so interesting the way we're watching our language evolve in front of our our eyes that's mm-hmm. what I love so much about the English language um, okay let's talk about sexual orientation so we've talked about your physical sex We've talked about your gender identity and we have talked about gender expression, but then we also have sexual orientation, which is who you prefer to engage in sex with, right? So yeah, you've decided who you have
1: the capacity to experience attraction to,
0: right? Yeah. Um, or to fall in love with. And this is where we're talking about things like straight and gay, heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, pansexual, asexual. Um, is that that's most of them right am I leaving anything out there's quite a few and we'll we'll kind of Um,
1: break down a little bit
0: Uh, so we all know what heterosexuality is that's Mm -hmm. our two-lane highway that's men liking women women liking men I think most people are familiar with gay and lesbian with being homosexual right Uh, we've got men with men and women with women Mm -hmm. what else is out there for us
1: Yeah, so the the bisexual and the pansexual umbrellas kind of encapsulate a couple, uh, uh, can encapsulate a lot of different things. So um, in general, like if somebody identifies as bisexual, it means they have the capacity to feel attraction to more than one gender, right? So what do we think about the Kinsey scale? In terms of like using it as a way to describe our experiences or as a way to talk about. Well,
0: I only ask because the Kinsey report posits that, I mean, I feel like it would posit that everyone is bisexual to a certain extent because everyone has the capacity in theory to be attracted to either sex. Or mm-hmm. either gender, mm-hmm. right? Because it's a scale. So if you are mm-hmm. unfamiliar with the Kinsey report, I don't know. I am not as up to date on like on, on all of this as maybe you are, Jenny. But um, I mean, it came out in the fifties, so it's right. it's old research, right? And not the most ethically obtained research either. So you know, mileage may vary with the Kinsey report. I like but, that,
1: may vary.
0: Um, <laughs> well, if we're going with the car metaphor, right? <laughs>
1: um, I like it
0: but he says there's a scale from one to six, one being like completely heterosexual, six being completely homosexual. But he, what he says in his report is that everybody, nobody, or almost nobody is a one or a six. Mm
1: -hmm. Almost
0: everybody falls
1: in the middle somewhere. Somewhere in between. Yeah. Well, and I think too, I mean, Kinsey's research has informed like human sexuality research enormously over the last, like, I don't know, I can't do math, less. Seventy-five years, or um, all those pieces too, but you can even see how the binary shows up here, right? People are in on, on a scale between two things that are opposing each other, right? With homosexuality on one end, right. heterosexuality on the other. Um, it doesn't leave any of that ver- room for variation in gender um, or in um, being attracted to multiple genders, right? Because if we don't recognize the variation sure. in gender identity then it becomes difficult to recognize the variation in sexual orientation as well, right? Um, But I think the point that I'm taking from what you're saying, and I'm so glad you brought it up, is that um, the idea of people ever being just one thing and not having the capacity to be attracted um, to folks that maybe fall outside of their typical um, orientation is something worth considering.
0: Right. I mean, this is where we get terms like girl crush and guy crush. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I identify as a heterosexual woman, but I have a girl crush on this actress. Right. Or I identify as a heterosexual male, but I have a guy crush on Daniel Craig. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, that is a type of attraction. Right. Mm -hmm. Even if it's in the form of like, I would like to be like that person, that Mm -hmm. is still a form of sexual attraction.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or even thinking about so Nowadays, we're even kind of teasing out like romantic or emotional attraction and, mm-hmm. and physical or sexual attraction, right? And recognizing that those two things can also be thought of as separate, right? So if we're using our car metaphor, um, sexual attraction can be thought of as like what gets your motor running. Love and it. then emotional or romantic attraction can be thought of as what makes your heart race, right? And those two things might actually be different, right? You might be, that's why attracted that's kind of how
0: gender expression comes into play then too right because maybe you identify as homosexual but you will gravitate more toward someone who is also homosexual but presents in a certain way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and this mm-hmm. is where you get I mean again I am not gay but some of the gay women that I know have talked about being attracted to like more masculine women or more feminine women Mm or, or men will be attracted to more masculine men or more. And there is a whole other subset of terminology that we don't necessarily need to unpack, but
1: um, yeah. And it goes back to this idea that there's more differences within a group than between groups. Right. So um, like everybody has their, I don't know, their type, right? Sure. Well, Um, do you like tall
0: people, short people, people with beards, people clean-shaven, right. people with long hair, people with short hair, you know, like oh there's a whole like debate what do we think about man buns? Right. You know, I, I love a man, a man bun. <laughs> I love a man bun. <laughs> Not everyone loves a man bun. Though. Not everyone loves a man bun. No. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, I think gender expression comes into it a lot, like, you know, you have kind of the stereotype of like the mountain man look that's really masculine that a lot of women are attracted to a lot of mm-hmm. men are attracted to mm-hmm. um and then or you have like the more what the, uh, the like metrosexual right that was like the big term in the 90s for men who are very polished and very like groomed and hygienic
1: men hygienic men had a special well-
0: name but it was considered kind of more feminine, right? Like men get, who get manicures regularly and facials regularly, and mm-hmm. who spend a lot of time on their hair and, and you know, the mm-hmm. way they dress and um, like maybe wear more fitted clothing. And so they present their gender expression in maybe what we would say is a more feminine way, mm-hmm. but are still very attractive to heterosexual women. Mm-hmm. That makes sense.
1: Yes, a hundred percent. Okay, so if, look, bisexual is about at least two genders. Pan is like, think of like a panoramic photo, Mm -hmm. somebody who has the capacity to be attracted to any gender, right? The gender doesn't really make the difference in who they're attracted to, right? So sometimes you'll hear people say, it's really about the person. It's not about like how they present or what their body parts are for me, right? It's really about who that person is. And so I do just want to add like, a caveat to all of this is that the capacity for attraction to someone doesn't mean you're automatically attracted to them. Right. So if I identify as, um, heterosexual, right. Or straight, I have the capacity to be attracted to men. I am not attracted to every man I meet. Right. Exactly.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Not even close. I can't, I can't even tell you how true that is. <laughs> right. And I think that is something that actually has been made light of in a lot of media concerning homosexuality, where, um, homosexual men in particular have had to make a point of saying like, just because I'm gay doesn't mean I want to have sex with
1: you. Correct. Like, Which is ridiculous, right? It is ridiculous. I mean, that's really all there is to say about it. uh, It's so othering and it just like, yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous.
0: I mean, it is a fear that our culture has put into men about not presenting their gender expression Mm -hmm. vehemently enough. And so they're worried that if a, a man has a capacity to be attracted to them, that they will be, and they will have to somehow defend
1: there. Can, can you imagine being so percentage. self-involved that you assumed that well, I mean, like, yes, are, is every woman a... attracted to you, bro? Like...
0: <laughs> well, okay, now listen, I mean, again, this is a whole other podcast, but yes, I think a lot of men do think that every woman is attracted to them.
1: Uh...
0: Looking at you, Jared Leto. <laughs> um <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. And I think it's also too important to hit on the fact that there are variations in the speaking of attraction, right? And the capacity for attraction and not being attracted to everybody. There are also words to describe the frequency with which people experience um, sexual attraction. Um, so someone who is um, allosexual or romantic is going to experience Sexual attraction or romantic attraction pretty frequently. Hmm. Somebody who is demisexual or demiromantic, um, less frequently, or there may be special, not special, there may be specific criteria that need to be met before somebody experiences sexual or romantic attraction. Like they might need to have a pretty strong emotional bond mm-hmm. formulated before sexual or attraction. Or have been bought like a nice that. steak dinner. Listen, whatever the criteria are. But <laughs> Um, people will tell you, I mean, they'll kind of explain, right? And the most common um, piece of it too is that is that kind of that emotional connection. And then folks who are asexual or aromantic don't usually experience sexual attraction or romantic um, attraction. So
0: we would say that allosexual people are slutty.
1: Not necessarily. So, so feel, remember that feeling feelings of attraction. Okay. I have so much to unpack about the word slut, but let's just well, say, okay, yes, going but with it.
0: let's, let's, um, let's pretend that slut is an okay word to use and we are not shaming anybody for being yes. slutty.
1: What we're really talking about, what I'm really taking away from that is like someone who has a lot of sexual activity. Right. Right. So, so just because someone has, does have sexual attraction, does not mean that they're acting on sexual attraction all the time. Okay. It doesn't mean that they're, they may, they may be in a monogamous relationship. They may not, right. They may have lots of sexual partners, but they're again, lots of variation within groups, um, more variation within groups and between them. Right. Um, and it's important too to note that again, romantic orientation and sexual orientation are separate. So someone may be, alloromantic and asexual, meaning they do experience romantic attraction, but they don't experience sexual attraction. Or someone might be um, alloromantic and demisexual, meaning they experience romantic attraction, but there are these like certain criteria that they need to have met in order for them to experience sexual attraction to someone. So just lots of different words that you can think about in terms of, of who you are.
0: Yeah, so yeah, this is like a fantastic grab bag of like things that you can make of yourself and um, ways that you can identify yourself to others. So I think the crux of this really comes down to where is the value in selecting these identifiers? When I say I am a cisgender heterosexual woman um also heteroromantic as far as I know right <laughs> uh, <I'm>, so far <laughs> well I'm just saying like the right woman hasn't come along yet I suppose if mm-hmm. she did things might change but for me right now it's it's men it's my husband mm-hmm. um has been for my whole life pretty much um yeah. we talked off mic about uh <laughs> the The performance of sexuality in college especially among women Mm -hmm. um girls kissing each other for the benefit often of male spectators Mm -hmm. um so you know make of that what you will um but so when I choose to identify myself as those things what does that do for me
1: yeah so when I when I and I'm really going to frame this kind of like in terms of like like the adolescence, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But I think it applies to adults too, um, in a lot of ways. So one of the biggest things that adolescents are doing, uh, that teens are doing right now, right? Is you are figuring out who you are in the world, right? Who am I? What kind of person do I want to be? What kind of relationships, whether those are sexual, romantic or not, do I want to be involved in? And what do those people look like, right? Like who? Um, Who is the kind of person that um, I want to be with if I want to be with somebody, right? What are my values? What's important to me? And ultimately, your sexual identity is just one piece of that, right? Um, These are big questions. And lots of adults don't even have the answer um, for themselves, which is also okay. Um, But the bigger picture on that is that it's okay to not have it all figured out today, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and it's okay to have questions and to wonder about things, which is also something that teens experience, right? Sexual feelings are kind of emerging. And so being able to have language around what that those mean for you can be really powerful. Yeah. Well, and it helps you pick
0: the right person to have sex with, right? Right. Like, right. if I am a homosexual, I want to make sure that I'm having sex with another homosexual person probably, just because maybe. we both maybe we bisexual, all can maybe well maybe yeah um but we we want to be clear in our expectations mm-hmm. right and um so it, there is maybe some value in knowing how you identify so you can find and i mean for the more marginalized orientations there's value in having peers who understand your experience mm-hmm support system. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So having some of these identifiers, even though it is very fluid. And like we said at the beginning, it's a very moving target. It is valuable to have the language to communicate how you're feeling in that moment. Um, And seek out others who feel the same way. So how can you figure out what you are? God, it's like the
1: big life question. I mean, it is right. Who am I?
0: (laughs) Who am I? And how do you ever know? But are there any tips that we can give people for kind of narrowing it down a little bit? Yeah. So I think
1: above anything else, right. Is give yourself the space, the freedom and the acceptance to really feel your feelings, right. And to be curious about your feelings and what you're feeling instead of, um, trying to kind of like shove them down, right? Um, So it's impossible to know who we are if we're not like able to name our emotions, able to name our thoughts, able to like really think um, about what we're feeling. It can also be helpful to learn different terms for orientation. So like we talked about, we touched on a few, but there are so many um, that we'll drop in our little like resource area. And think about what they mean, and consider whether any of them resonate for you. That doesn't mean you have to look at a list and pick off, be able to like exactly pick off what's true for you today, right? But it can be helpful, and it can lead to other potential resources or supports for you, for with folks you can talk to about this stuff.
0: Could BuzzFeed make a quiz that could tell me my sexual orientation?
1: No as helpful as that would be, right? The identification can only come within. And again, it's not based on superficial surface level stuff, you know, um, there are folks who identify as straight and engage in sex with same gender partners. Right. Um, so it's not really even about behavior, um, so much as it is about, um, that internal sense of identity right if and i think it goes
0: back to what we said before in the in the previous episode about knowing yourself and taking that time and i'm just going to say it like masturbation factors into this you need to know what feels good on your body and what triggers your sexual pleasure and mm-hmm. you need to understand that before you can figure out what you expect from a partner
1: mhm yeah. I mean, it can also be helpful in like communicating, right? Um, mm-hmm. With your partner about what you like, what you don't like too.
0: And what you fantasize about while you are engaging in sex with yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's what comes true.
0: naturally and what turns you on naturally can be a clue to what you might find attractive in other people.
1: Yes. It's also important to note as well that there is a difference. Fantasy is not real life, right? right.
0: Um,
1: and so just because somebody fantasizes about something doesn't always mean that they want to do that in real life. Not always, but if you can take
0: a step back then and say, okay, what, what do all these things have in common? Or like, what mm-hmm. am I seeing as a practical correlation with what I normally fantasize about yeah. or how do, do I try to emulate that in real life situations?
1: Yeah. Or do um, I want to, right. Even right, if that's exactly the question, like, is this something that I just like thinking about, or is this something I would eventually want to see happen in real life with a, with a mm-hmm. partner? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So sorry Let's to not it. have
0: like a more concrete answer, but like it all boils down to really just like allowing yourself to know yourself and taking the time to look inward. Yes. Take your time. Take your time. You have lots of time. It is hard not to want to fit yourself into a box. It is really hard at any age mm-hmm. to not to let yourself not, you know, have that list of identifiers and have that be like what you are. Right? Um there's a person who this kid goes to the same school as my kids I guess and she has a license plate on the back of her car that says boy mom uh, with two m's,
1: that ms like an guess, identity like, is that an identity marker
0: yeah I think I guess it is for her I or and I mean I think it is for a lot of mothers like being a boy mom is a specific kind of thing um but what I'm saying is like you don't, it's hard not to want to do that kind of thing
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, Yeah, and say like my being, my existence is defined by this one particular identifier. Yep. Um, and I think a lot of non-heterosexual people run into that being imposed on them by others as in like your sexuality is your only identity. Hmm. Um, Uh, you know um Mm -hmm. I don't know any pansexual people that I'm aware of but I do know several homosexual people and I know that they struggle with that being the only way people perceive them right Mm -hmm. like they're the gay one Mm -hmm. I think people of color struggle with that also
1: Mm -hmm. Um, yeah we like never want to tokenize our friends right or our peers or our colleagues right People are a lot more, um, than one thing, than any one thing. Yes. Yes.
0: A hundred percent. So yeah. like you're, I mean, you're more than if, you know, your hobbies, you're more mm-hmm. than what kind of movies that you like, and you're more than what color your hair is and whether you're a parent or whether you're married, like there mm-hmm. are so many identifiers that we carry, but none of them are our total being.
1: Yeah. Yeah, which makes this important work, right? Like figuring out yes. how important, but and not just for your healthy sex life, but for a healthy life in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the expert, and you don't have to know everything today. Yeah, isn't that a relief?
0: <laughs> isn't, isn't it just a load off to be like it's okay to? I mean, you know, we're learning to know ourselves all of life. So, um, that, you know, when you're considering having sex for the first time, think about it for a minute. Think about what kind of person you want to have sex with. Yeah. And then go find them and then go find them and then go find them
1: and then Uh, talk to them
0: at length and then talk to (laughs) them, which is what we will talk about in our next episode is once you have found a person you want to have sex with. How do you negotiate that actually getting to the point of having sex? So um, we will talk about that next time. And um, I forgot to mention in our last episode, but we do have an email account. You can reach us at if you have questions or want to talk about anything more in depth. We are at sexhealthpod at gmail.com. And we are also... The Sex Health Pod on Instagram. So at the Sex Health Pod on Instagram. Um, I don't know that kids use Instagram anymore, but it's yeah. there. It's there. We care. And um, I think we do have some like graphics and videos we may want to throw up. So um, you can also visit our website at sexhealthpod.com. So this has been Katie Dupre.
1: And Jenny Briggs. Remember Remember. that sex should always be safe, consensual, realistic, emotionally aware, and worth it. So when you have sex, don't forget to screw. All right. Bye. Bye.